Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. This is Stephanie, your host, and if you are new here, welcome. In this podcast, we rotate between five main topics, faith, finances, health, marriage, and mindset. The goal being that, you know, if we work on becoming just 1% better every day in each of those five areas, I believe that the small, seemingly insignificant things compound over time. So by taking extreme ownership of wherever we are in our life and then just making small, consistent changes can drive positive generational change. Okay, so this week, you guys, I had the pleasure of interviewing a parenting specialist and y'all, she just rocked this interview so, so much. It is filled with powerful knowledge, tips and tricks, awareness of different things, how to handle your like, quote unquote, big emotion child. And she basically counsels me through my own parenting, okay? And this conversation was so good. And honestly, we both felt like it could have went on for two more hours at least. So I'm going to have her on the Legacy Through Motherhood community group to answer more specific questions for you guys really, really soon. So without further ado, let me introduce you to the amazingly talented Rachel Bailey. All right. Hey, Rachel, welcome to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. Hey, thanks for having me here. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so can you tell uh, my listeners just like a little bit about you, who you are, what you do, and then we will jump right into our conversation that will really be surrounded uh, with talking about discipline versus punishment. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. So I'm excited. So um, I am Rachel Bailey. I am most importantly to me anyway, I'm a mom. I have two daughters that that I'm raising. And um, in addition to being a mom, I help parents for a living. So I help parents raise responsible, resilient, confident kids by giving really practical solutions. Most of the time, by the time people get to me, they've read the blogs, they've read the books, but things aren't working, at least not in the long run. So I try to help them figure out why kids are doing what they're doing, and then give them strategies that will help them see those long-term positive results that they're looking for. Yeah, I love I love. So you have a podcast also called um, Your Parenting Long Game, and it's amazing because I feel like it's just short, sweet, to the point. And I feel like there is, there's so many blogs, there's so many books, there's so many whatever, but there's only so much those can teach you because it's so freaking broad. Do you know what I mean? And so I I feel like I'm like, I need help with my specific child who is doing this specific thing. So, um, so you just helping, I think it's just amazing what you do. And so can we just start by like laying kind of a a good foundation for our conversation today? So can you kind of go into the difference between what punishment is, maybe what that looks like and what discipline is and what that looks like? Yeah. So I will say there's actually something that I find the two have in common, at least when parents are trying punishment versus discipline, which is we are trying to teach our kids the way the world works. We're trying to teach them that, you know, life isn't always going to go the way they want. And there's certain things they have to do even when they don't feel like it. The difference is in the approach we take to teach them these lessons. Punishment, the way I define it anyway, the goal of punishment is to make someone feel worse so that they will act better. So it's, if you don't do this, I will take away the thing you care about, or you just did that, so now you need to feel really awful about it. Punishment doesn't tend to work for reasons we can get into, but I'll talk about what, the, what to me, what I teach is more discipline, which is about when a child doesn't do what they're supposed to do, it's still our job to teach them, but that's the key. We have to teach them. Instead of making them feel worse, we figure out why they're not doing what they're supposed to do. And there's, there are actually not that many reasons kids don't do what they're supposed to do, but the reasons that exist are big. They're important. So we figure out why a child isn't doing what they're supposed to do. And we literally give them the tools to do better. 
And it's amazing that when we discipline in this way, rather than using punishment, this type of discipline fosters internal motivation because we teach kids how to do the things that we want them to do. And I feel like when we, when we are punishing or disciplining or whatever, I think that our goal, (laughs) our heart is probably to discipline. However, I feel like it is so easy to just, um, default to, you know, sending a kid to a room or like taking something away or, you know, giving them like a consequence in the moment, like, okay, well now you don't get to watch TV anymore or now you don't get to do whatever. So like, do you, do you feel like that with the people that you work with, the parents that you work with? Do you feel like a lot of people have a hard time and they just kind of default to punishment, even if their heart is disciplined? And like, why do you, why do you think that is? Like, is I, it yeah, like, absolutely. Or, like, our parents? Are we like, we did that or like we got taught that way or what? <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, it's hard for everybody, including, you know, sometimes I even struggle with that. And I'm someone who's taught this for a living and, and we don't punish in our house. Although very honestly, our kids listen really well because we've taught them a lot of tools, but even I tend to think that way. And there are a lot of reasons that we think that way. One is definitely our parents. It's the way we were raised was through punishment. And when I first start to talk about, you know, let's do something different than punishment, people really do freak out. It's like, well, then my kids, my child's going to get away with things and I'm going to raise an entitled child and I'm going to raise a spoiled child. And yeah, I mean, that it's our fear that we're going to raise a child who isn't going to be responsible, who isn't going to be able to handle life that prevents us from doing what what actually aligns with our values. So yes, it's what our parents did. And so we default to that. But even more, something interesting about parent fear is that when we are afraid, our brain senses that fear is a threat. So the fight or flight response kicks in. And what's interesting is that our fight or flight response shuts off the part of our brain where our values live. So we actually, when we're afraid that if we don't punish, our kids will turn out to be entitled spoiled brats, that our values are inaccessible at that moment. So we may know I don't want to punish because it doesn't work and it doesn't feel good, but we can't recall that in the moment, believe it or not. So there's a scientific reason that it's really hard. And I feel like there's, um, I was just thinking about this. This is um, just kind of not random. It's it's pertaining to this, but I was just thinking as I was just thinking through our conversation that we're about to have and um, and, and disciplining and, I, and, and punishment or whatever, um, we had a morning, I will just <laughs> tell you. With my four. Oh my gosh, we're homeschooling all four now. Um, and it has, and they've just been home since March, you know, so it just mm-hmm. breeds some, some stuff. So yes. anyway, <laughs> but I was thinking, this is kind of a random point, but I'm sure you could um, elaborate on it or talk about it. But it's funny because how many times, how many times do we uh, uh, discipline or punish like in the moment? Cause we are stressed out. Like today I was telling them to freaking put their clothes away. And it was like, they had played all morning and I'm like, put, you know, your shirt, in the drawer. And it was like, Oh my God, I have to freaking put one shirt in the, I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like literally you have been playing all morning anyways. And so I think it's funny. I was just thinking about that. We feel the need to, um, and I know you talk about this a lot, but I, we feel the need in the moment to like parent when we're pissed (laughs) and whatever (laughs) and all these things, you know? And it's like, Okay, well, and then you nobody freaking gets what they want. But what's what's interesting to me, and I'll get to my point here, is that when our kids are little, when they're seven, eight months old, and they're throwing a freaking tantrum, we don't correct, we don't send a timeout, obviously, we don't whatever. We let them have we hold space for them to just have a meltdown. But we don't do that when our kids are older. And I find that interesting because typically in the moment, ain't nobody gonna like benefit 
Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we should still be holding space for older kids, but we don't. (laughs) 100%. Absolutely. And one of the things I do say a lot is that, um, you know, in the moment, parenting is extremely ineffective. And I talk a lot about that on my podcast and I give lots of alternatives because in the moment when, again, when we're in this place of over big emotions, whether we're afraid or whether we're angry and frustrated, helpless, whatever we are, I call all of that yuck. That's the term I use. Anything uncomfortable, I call yuck. And when we as parents are in yuck, we actually can't parent effectively for the reason I mentioned. The part of our brain where our values live and our ability to solve problems, it's shut down. So parenting in the moment is extremely ineffective. However, of course, we have to do it sometimes. So I teach a discipline strategy for for in the moment, and it does include exactly what you just said. It includes the last step of the discipline strategy, and I can tell you the earlier steps too, but the last step actually includes being firm as a parent and letting our kids have their feelings about it. Because the truth is, our kids are not robots. They're human beings. And when we set a boundary and we're really firm, they're going to feel disappointed. They're going to feel frustrated. They're going to feel angry and annoyed. And we just have to let them have those feelings. The problem is we get annoyed because they have those feelings and we just want it to go away. But part of setting firm boundaries is setting them and realizing your kids have to actually do what I call releasing their yuck. They have to let those feelings out. And so we have to be firm and let them have those feelings without getting sucked into them ourselves and saying, well, you knew you had to put your shirt away or come on, I can't believe you're doing that. That's our yuck because they're in yuck. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So in the moment, parenting is tough. It really is. And there's so many things we can do to not have to parent in the moment, but it does require us when we are, it requires us to let them have their feelings. Okay. So my mind is going somewhere and it's, it's this. So this podcast is a lot about generational change, changing your legacy, kind of being that inflection point or whatever else. And so let's say you have a lot of freaking stuff going on in your life. Like you were saying, um, if you, you can't really parent from a place of yuck effectively, of course you could probably like grind for a second and like do it, (laughs) but like long-term, long-term that's your, that's your thing. Um, but like long-term if like is part of a parenting strategy like figuring yourself out okay can you talk about that because I'm just like you know if, if you maybe grew up not with great um parents you know we all do our best but like you know there there are good and not great parents and you know you're but then you yourself are living in this state maybe there was trauma that happened you're overwhelmed maybe your life doesn't look the way you thought it was going to look you name it. And all of a sudden you have one, two, three, four, however many kids. And so the only thing you know is punishment. The only thing you have energy for is punishing in the moment. And you're just feeling really stuck on some weird cycle. Can you kind of talk into that? Yes, absolutely. Um, And we will default, by the way, to the only thing we know when we are in yuck. But to your original point, yeah, we cannot parent effectively when we have our own yuck. And I will tell you that I with about 70% of the parents I work with, within the first session of working with me, they realize, oh, you know what? I actually have to work on my own stuff too. I have to work on my own stuff Maybe I need to be in counseling. Maybe not my kids. (laughs) Yeah. And it's not always even counseling. Although very honestly, in some cases, it is absolutely counseling, but it could also just be skills that you're missing because your parents never taught it or modeled it. So it's not always that you have to do this deep, you know, emotional processing work. Although again, in some instances, absolutely it's necessary, but I work with a lot of parents who simply don't even have the tools. So they don't need to go that far back. They just need to know like, what, Rachel, what do I say in this moment? What do I do? How do I calm myself down? So I don't take my yuck out on my child because they never saw that to begin with. Right. So then what, what would you say to them? How do you, how do you have parents kind of 
um, get away from that either parenting in the moment or calm themselves down enough to where they can actually parent effectively. So trying to calm yourself down in the moment, again, it's not very effective, but what I actually do is have parents take an inventory of their lives. And it's not like a huge inventory that takes hours. I I say, you know, take about 30 minutes and start to think about what is contributing to your yuck. That's the first thing. You kind of have to recognize what you're dealing with first. And then once you recognize it, I actually teach parents how to address the different items that are creating yuck. But then moving forward, once they've gotten rid of some of the yuck, then going forward, we also have to say, okay, what kind of parent do you want to be? And this is, no, we're not talking about what the kids are doing at this moment because we have to start with figuring this out first. What kind of parent do you want to be? And I actually have most parents that I work with create what I call a parenting avatar, which is just basically the identity of the person they want to be. And then we talk about, okay, what action steps will it take for you to get there? And when they say to me, Rachel, what do I say in the moment? I say, you know what? You're going to think about what would your parenting avatar say? If your parenting avatar, I usually have them make up a name that starts with an adjective and then their name. So maybe it's confident Kathy. And, confident, and Kathy says to me, Rachel, what should I say? I say to her, what would confident Kathy say? Who, the parent you want to be, how would they respond? And when we are talking about this proactively, we can come up with phrases. And I highly recommend that parents do that. Come up with phrases ahead of time to use in situations that regularly trigger you. So when my child melts down, I will be confident, Kathy, and I will say blank and I will do blank. And those blanks are filled in with the thoughts and actions that are aligned with who they want to be as parents. Which I'm assuming would be, well, well, yeah, assuming that it would be you, you want connection with your kid. You don't want to just freaking blow up. Right. Most parents want that, but I never tell them what to want. But let's say, let's say they do want that. So, okay, what does that look like? So it, when my child melts down, I will um, remind myself that meltdowns are actually normal and a sign that my child is releasing emotions. They're not a threat, which is what most of us think meltdowns are a threat or dangerous. That's why we lose our cool. I will remind myself that meltdowns are actually very normal behavior. I will model the behavior I want to see. So if I want my child not to freak out when things don't go their way, I will not freak out when things don't go my way. Instead, I'll take 10 deep breaths. I'll say, I'm really frustrated right now. I need to take some deep breaths. Or I'll find the furthest wall in the room and walk back and forth five times. So it's literally, I, I require or encourage, I should say, my parents to come up with specific thoughts, specific actions ahead of time so that in the moment once their fight or flight has kicked in, all they have to do is do what they decided ahead of time they would do. And well, and let's be real too. Like if you're going to, if you are going to blow up in the moment, typically your kid, um, so just kind of, I mean, we haven't really ventured off, but just this whole punishment thought of punishment. Like if you're punishing your kid, if I'm punishing my kid, then typically like, I feel like, um, so we have a kid, I'm going to not name them. Although if you all <laughs> listen to my podcast for a while, you know, which number it is, but I'm just gonna, you know, whatever. So I have a kid who, um, has, is young and has really, really strong emotions. And so like, if I, I know that when I default to like, oh my gosh, just get in your room, mm-hmm. he will just yell, I hate you. Yeah. Like he's young. I'm like, seriously, where have you even heard that word? We don't even use that word in here. Um, but it's such a big emotion, such big word, such big, you know, whatever. And he'll go and slam the door. Yep. Well, that wasn't very effective. Like there's no way that he's in there thinking like, 
oh, I probably shouldn't do that because I don't like to be in timeout. You know what I mean? Like that's not happening. <laughs> no, in fact, um, in that moment, what I call that those behaviors where you say, go to your room and he says, I hate you. I call that yuck turned out. So when we are in our fight or flight response, we have certain behaviors that we use. One of them is yuck turned out. And that's a sign that he's literally his fight or flight response has turned on. And he's not going to be able to think about what he did until he actually gets through his yuck and can reaccess the part of the brain that allows him to think more rationally. So no, in that moment, he literally is not thinking, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. I don't like time out. What he's thinking is I hate my mom. She doesn't understand me. Those are all signs of his yuck. And I will tell you, I specialize in working with parents of big emotions. I'm raising a child with big emotions. I have big emotions myself. And we really have to understand how the brain works if we want to deal with it more effectively. And the irony in raising kids with big emotions is that we want, like I just said, we want them to be able to handle it when things don't go their way, but we can't even handle it when they're not doing what we want them to do. If we can't model it, how can we expect it of them when their brains aren't even fully developed? Right. Well, and I feel like, um, I mean, this is a huge parenting no-no, I know this, but at the same time, it's hard to not do. But like, you know, when you have siblings older than him that are a little more calm, a little more go with the flow. You can give them like a look and it's like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm going to go do what I need to do. And then all of a sudden you get this kid that's like basically giving you the middle finger. He does not do that, but that's what it feels like a lot of the times, you know, it's like, I feel like personally, so I'm a special ed teacher. Um, and I've run, like run a behavior unit, you know, so like in high school, so typically, like I am really, really good. I really believe in not matching their energy. I really believe in like, I'm a one when you're a 10. Um, I feel like I have a, I'm like pretty good at that because I understand the importance of it. I did it as teaching. I do it as, as a mom for the most part. Sometimes I lose my ish, but, um, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's, um, it's just hard when it's your kid because of your exact, exactly what you were saying that you have a fear that like, oh my gosh, you're being a total, you know what right now. And like, that's not acceptable. So you feel like you need to lash out, but how can we maybe like switch that and turn that into discipline? So for example, if, um, if my kid, you know, let's just use what I just said. If my kid is, um, you know, throwing a daggone fit because I'm asking him to do something and I get frustrated and send him to his room and he says, I hate you, whatever this whole thing. So then like, how, how does that get handled differently? Obviously not parenting in the moment, but like, how, how can I do that differently? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is that in the moment you got pulled into your yuck, you responded to their yuck. So it's not going to go well in the moment if you have trouble regulating. Now, what I do is I help parents regulate to begin with. And let me just say this. I am such a real parent. Like I could bring my children in right now and they would say, mom loses her stuff all the time. I'm not saying that you're going to be able to do this all the time. I teach parents all the time. You just need a North Star. Do it like 70% of the time. I lose my cool. I'm, I'm actually a pretty right. bad in the moment parent. So I just want to set that <laughs> expectation. And that's one of the reasons I talk about proactive parenting. I'm not that good at in the moment parenting. But ultimately what we would do is number one, I would work with a parent to stop getting so triggered by that behavior. Because I'm going to tell you something, Stephanie, that that's not his age. That's his temperament. And even as he gets older, he's going to still have that temperament. So your older kids may respond to a look now. He's, I don't think he's going to respond to a look going forward. That's who he Never. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's not his age. So you're going to need to know how to deal with this um, and not get triggered by it to begin with. And that's a lot of the work I do. Why are we so triggered by our kids? He's actually acting pretty developmentally normally. And if you can take a step back and say, why does that bother us so much and actually work through that? Why do we take it so personally that what really he's doing is saying, I don't have tools to regulate my emotions. His, I hate you 
That's his way of saying, I'm in this place of discomfort because I have to do something I don't want to, and I don't have healthy tools to handle it. So again, first thing I would actually help you as a mom not get triggered. And then the other piece of this is, well, what do we do about that? That's not acceptable. And I agree it's not. We teach him different ways to regulate his emotions. And this is more important than ever when you have a child who is sensitive. If we don't teach sensitive kids how to regulate their emotions better, they're constantly going to run into trouble. So we teach them, again, discipline is teaching. We teach them outside of the moment how to regulate so that when they get frustrated with you, they don't say, I hate you. But right now, he has no other way of coping or no other mature way of coping because he's not mature yet because he's a child. So a lot of what I teach too is how do we teach kids other ways to handle their yuck? And how do we teach ourselves other ways to handle our yuck? Because most of us, can I just tell you there are three ways that humans handle yuck? And this is going to relate to your son and to you. First way I already talked about is turning yuck out. That's where you get the disrespect. I hate you or the aggression where they slam doors. We are aggressive. We yell, all those things. That's yuck turned out. Blame is another way of yuck, yuck turned out. So these are all really common behaviors. Another way though, that you could see yuck and children's inability to regulate is some kids turn it in on themselves. So instead of being nasty to you, they say, no one likes me, or I can't do anything right, or I'm always getting in trouble, or I'll never figure this out. That's their yuck turned in. And the last thing that we as humans do with yuck, this doesn't start until about age seven or eight, but adults, we do this all the time. We numb our yuck. And there's so much of this going on right now as we're recording in COVID. Numbing our yuck is where we, at the end of a long day, instead of like dealing with what happened during the day, we go to our wine or we tune out in the watching the news or sports, or we go to sugar. We numb our yuck. And all of those behaviors are just symptoms that someone doesn't have the tools to regulate their emotions. So to bring this back to your original question, what you do is you learn how to not get triggered and you teach him how to regulate his emotions so he's not turning his yuck out on you. Well, and I really appreciate that you just said, um, and I feel like I, I feel like I've known this, but it was good to just hear it articulated. But I appreciate that you just said that he's not going to grow out of this most likely. Yeah. Like there, because there is a, I feel like there's a lot of times you're like, oh, he's just acting like a three-year-old or he's just acting like a two-year-old. And there is some truth to that, obviously with the youngness and like the immaturity. But at the same time, it's like all of our kids are so freaking different. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because we have four kids and they're all, I mean, polar. They're like North, South, East, West. And, and so it's really important long-term and in short-term that we understand that, that it's like, my kid is not going to grow out of his temperament. Right. Um, he may grow out of this immaturity some, hopefully, uh, but the temperament he's not going to grow out of. So that's really important. I feel like to really know how to handle your specific children and not do like a one size fits all type parenting approach. That is my favorite thing to do with parents is help them understand their unique children. Um, because yeah, the kids don't grow, like you said, they don't grow out of temperaments. They react in a specific way. And if we don't teach them now as kids how to react more maturely, they're going to react that way in school, in their relationships. I mean, yeah, absolutely. But the truth is when you start to understand your child and what their behavior means. So keep this in mind. Behavior is only communication. That is all it is. Behavior communicates how someone is feeling or doing inside. And it's true of us too, because we behave very positively when we feel good. We behave very negatively when we feel negatively. And like, think about even how you react as a parent actually has more to do with how you're doing inside than what your kids are doing, because they could be doing the same exact thing on two different days and you handle it totally differently based on your mood. 
So behavior is only communication. And when we understand our child's unique communication style, why they're doing what they're doing and how to help them do something different, everything changes. And that's very far from punishment. Right. I feel like it's um, giving you, I don't even know what the word is, like that first step, or it's giving you like a reason for why they're doing what they're doing. Um, like there's no excuse that my child is, you know, saying X, Y, or Z, but like he, there, he might be hungry. He might be tired. He might be frustrated. He might need, you know, need my attention. Uh, good Lord. You know, like there's, there's a reason that he's acting. So do you, um, like how, what are good ways to kind of get to the root problem? Yes. So I'm just thinking in my head, like going through, I mean, look, good Lord, every single one of my children today, I feel like I was like all over the place. Um, but which is funny, of course, when we're having a parenting conversation today. Um, but it's like, okay, so you're, you're, let's just say you're kind of dealing with some stuff in your life, especially during COVID. I mean, you what, there could be job loss, there could be financial pressure, there could be all kinds of stuff. And then your kids are home and they're bored and they're, you know, freaking groundhogs day all the time. Mm -hmm. And so you're, you, you could find yourself on this weird, crazy cycle of like, punishment, disrespect, you know, whatever. And so how do we like really get to the root cause of what it actually is? So there are actually not that many causes for negative behavior. There are really three. And um, we can, we can, I have a checklist that I give parents. I'm like, okay, check this off, check this off, check this off. Um, so actually there are four, because what I have to start with, you mentioned is the biological stuff. When a human being is hungry, tired, sick, also, another biological one that people don't think about is when a temperament doesn't match an environment, meaning if you have a child who likes to move a lot and they're asked to sit still, that's going to create negative behavior. Or if you as a parent are an introvert and you are surrounded by loud children, that's going to cause negative behavior. So we always start with biological. I always say to people, have you, when they come to me, have you ruled out anything biological? That trumps everything else. Then once they've ruled out the biologic, biological piece, then it's the, the three reasons kids, you know, aren't listening and aren't being the way we want them to is number one, uh, they're missing tools. You know, kids literally don't know how to focus on boring tasks. So parents out there who are listening, who have kids who won't sit still at the dinner table, won't brush their teeth, won't do homework, won't get dressed in the morning. Kids' brains are actually not wired to do monotonous tasks. And by the way, I'm an expert in ADHD. This is not ADHD. This is neurotypical kids. So they're actually missing the ability to do that. So when we say to them, go brush your teeth and stop complaining, it actually is working against the way their brains work. So they're missing tools is the first reason. And there are like four or five tools that kids are missing that lead to negative behavior. The next is that they're in emotional yuck. So that we have certain emotional needs. And when our emotional needs, I call these like accounts, when we have more withdrawals and deposits, we're going to be in yuck. And when we are in yuck, we do not behave positively. So missing tools, yuck. And the third reason that kids misbehave is because they know they can get away with it. So if we are not being consistent as parents, if we're not following through, they will take advantage of it. It's not because they're bad. It's because, um, you know, that's actually kids are very impulsive. Now, I will say that none of these three reasons, so again, it's tools, it's yuck, it's lack of consistency. None of these are excuses ever, but they are reasons. And if we don't address the reason for behavior, that's why people don't see long-term change because they want these quick fixes. And we don't address the reason, you're not going to see a long-term difference. Well, and I wonder, um, and I'll just put a plug in really quickly for your Instagram. Uh, what are you at? Rachel Bailey? Is it? Rachel Bailey the... Parenting is my Instagram. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Everyone go freaking follow that because what I love um, that you that you do on there, you do a ton of like, say this, not that. Yes. Um, 
And that is just like gold um, because I just feel like there's, okay, if we were parented one way, then we don't have a, um, an immediate, you know, role model to teach us any way differently. Uh, we're so disconnected. Yes, COVID, but just in 2020 in general, all we see is social media. We don't actually, I was, I was, uh, I went on a soapbox, um, a couple episodes ago where we're seeing more like pictures of other kids, of other people's kids and other people's living room than actual kids and other people's living room. Like we're not actually there. You know what I mean? Like we're seeing pictures of their kids. We're not seeing their actual kids. And so I think that it's hard. You don't, you know, you don't even have like a, I mean, hopefully you have some friends that you get together with your friend, whatever. But my point is we're not really seeing people parent um, Mm -hmm. in a different way. And so it's like, you know, I, I mean, unless you're connected to someone like you who has, you know, have the education, you've done the research, you could like, again, like you said, people read books and do blogs, but it's really hard to, um, to change in the moment if you're, if you don't have tools prior. So I love your Instagram because I feel like you're just constantly like giving just super easy tools. And I feel like that's something you're really passionate about is really simple fixes that you can do. You know, you don't have to do this big old thing. That's it's like exactly right. What I try to do on, on social media and I have a parenting academy where I actually give scripts in addition to the phrases I get, I get some full scripts. But what I really try to do, because I'm aware that not everyone has the education and experience I do, is I take what I know and I make it practical. Like I know what the reasons are for behavior. And I'm like, okay, people don't have time necessarily to consume all that. So how can I show you what this actually looks like in the moment or what it looks like proactively so that you don't have to take the algorithms that are running in my brain and try to figure it out on your own? Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, popping in here super quick to let you know about my brand new signature money mindset course called Entrusted with Her Finances. I have learned that if you want to win with money that you already work so daggone hard for, you have to deal with your mind. If the reality of your finances aren't aligning with your ideal financial situation, I would ask you if you have explicitly worked through your money mindset before. And if not, girl, this course is is exactly what you need. I mean, if you know me and you have listened to episode 19 of our financial freedom journey, then you know that we went from being in debt, not having you know hardly any choices, to becoming debt-free and building wealth in a little under two years. And during that two years, you guys, as I focused on getting out of debt logistically, I realized there's actually a huge amount of work that needs to happen in my mind to really move the needle forward. And so Entrusted is a 25 lesson audio course with almost six hours of training in a 75 plus page journal to work through where I walk you through 25 money mindset shifts to make as you start to just conquer your finances. And so if you want a sneak peek into a full lesson, go back and listen to episode 37 of this podcast and make sure to check out the show notes in this episode for a link to the course. Okay, now back to the episode. So what do, actually, I was kind of curious, like what got you into this field? Was it just an interest in it or was there like a, I don't yeah. know, like what got you into just this whole parenting field in general? It's funny. I did not plan on this at all. In fact, I didn't even know if I was going to have kids, very honestly. Oh. <laughs> I, I truly didn't. I know how that works. I know. <laughs> um, I was studying to be a neuropsychologist. And um, that's what I wanted to do. And it's funny because when I was in grad school, I always wanted to be in psychology. So I, I did 
no, I want us to do that. But when I was in grad school, everyone was like, don't give Rachel like the therapy-ish cases. She really wants to know about how the brain works. She doesn't want to do the sort of woo-woo stuff. And then what happened is I was studying to be a neuropsychologist as I actually got pregnant um, and realized I was going to be a parent. At that point, I was doing, I was kind of doing some coaching. I was doing ADHD coaching with kids and teens. I was doing some therapy in my training. And what I found was working with kids and teens that parents were like, whoa, I love that you're working with my child, but I have no idea what to do. I don't know what to say when my child does this. I don't know what to do. So I started doing parenting workshops. This is actually before I was a parent myself. I started doing parenting workshops and then I realized this need. I mean, like 10, 12 years ago, no one was talking. There weren't people helping parents. They were all helping kids or teens. And I realized there was this need. And I I said to my husband at the time, and I was like, how can I help parents? I didn't even know if I wanted to be a parent. I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not that good at it. And he's like, no, that's exactly why you have to do it. Because there's so many parenting experts out there who are so polished and are like, okay, use this sweet little voice. And he's like, you're not like that. And that's why you have to help them because they'll be able to relate to you. And so I'm so honest that I mess up all the time. And I actually have a whole lesson on what do you do when you mess up? Cause I'm so, <laughs> I do it so often. So yeah, yeah we'll that's how I worry about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that's how I, I kind of fell into it, but I, because of my personality and because this doesn't come naturally to me necessarily, the psychology does, the parenting part doesn't because I'm very reactive. That's why I love what I do. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. I didn't know that before. Yeah. Uh, Well, and it's just this kind of like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so you're, you're, first of all, so many people are parents. Duh. Um, But like, (laughs) I mean, like sometimes, you know, whether you plan to be a parent or you just kind of fell backwards into parenting, whether that, whatever that (laughs) looks like, you know, that happens for sure. Um, And so I feel like then all of a sudden you're just like coming up against, um, behaviors or like you said, fears and whatever else. And it's just, it's so hard when you literally don't know, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You don't know if you're making it worse. And honestly, you're even talking about like, okay, well there's, you know, what three or four different reasons that, um, children will, will behave a certain way. And it's like, I don't even know how to identify those. Do you know what I mean? And so I just, oh man, that's so hard. I feel like. Yeah, it can be. It can be. That's why, you know, starting to learn about behavior and understand behavior can be very empowering. And just, um, you know, going through, well, there's there's a thing I think with with AA that the HALT um, method of just saying, am I hungry? Do I feel alone? I forget. I don't even remember exactly what it stands for, but just going through a checklist in your head. And that's sort of what I say with parents. I say, start with biology. Are your kids hungry or tired? If that's, I mean, just start there. That's always going to create negative behavior. If they're not hungry and tired, do they have the tools to do what you ask? And most parents know, you know, what the tools are that I'm talking about. Are they feeling helpless or are they feeling out of control? You know, just kind of going through a checklist can be really helpful. Um, But even if you can't do that, just saying, are they struggling in some way? Is my kid struggling in some way? Mm -hmm. The one thing I will say, though, is if we are struggling, we can't recognize other people's struggles. So that's why I do have to start most of the time with parents because I have to figure out where are you struggling so that you can recognize your child's struggle as well. Sure. Absolutely. And the HALT, we actually just talked about that in a couple Ah, episodes ago. We talked about coping skills. Yeah. Um, I think it's um, hunger, anger, loneliness, tired. Yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Well, just how important important it is um, to teach our children, to explicitly teach our children coping skills because we again, a while back episode wise, we talked about addiction um, and not to like redo all of that, but talking about like, if you have the addiction gene, 
um, like your chances or whatever of becoming an addict, you're just more, um, you're like predisposed. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and to whether or not you become an addict, it really has to do with 50% of the fact that you have the gene and another 50% of your, how, how good you are with coping skills. Oh, a hundred percent. I could not agree more. And you know, when I was a therapist or when I was in that more clinical world, um, I worked with a lot of addiction and I can tell you that addiction is basically numbing yuck. It's you have all this yuck inside and you don't have the, like you said, you don't have the coping mechanisms. And, you know, I worked with kids to, it was was teenagers at the time to help them with their addictions. And parents would say, well, what punishment? This goes right back to the beginning of our conversation. They'd say, Rachel, I've tried every single punishment and nothing's worse. Worked. What can I come up with? And I would say, no, no, no. When we address the yuck, the behavior goes away. You don't even need the punishment, but you have to address Mm -hmm. the yuck. Yeah. So coping skills. I'm very biased because I teach them for a living, but I firmly believe with 100% of my heart that if we teach human beings coping skills, the world would look very different than it does right now because negative behavior is a symptom that someone's not coping effectively. And I remember I've taught this to my kids because I talk about it for a living. I remember I've always taught them that when people are in yuck, they're not going to act positively. And the opposite is also true. When they're not behaving positively, it means they're in yuck. And I remember when my daughter was like four years old. She said, mom, I feel really bad for bad guys. And I was like, what do you mean bad guys? Like good guys, bad guys, like superheroes. And she's like, yeah, the bad guys are always acting bad. So they must have a lot of yuck. And yeah. And I'm not saying that to say my daughter's amazing or anything. She's not. The point is even a four-year-old can start to get that. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. As you, as you just talk with them, it's amazing how much they can actually take in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I feel like that's when they're sponges. And we need to teach these things at that time. Although I work with a lot of parents of older kids who haven't done that. But for those of us with younger kids, absolutely, it's amazing what they learn, what they watch, how they see us cope, and then what we can teach them. And one of the things I would say, too, is for parents who feel like, man, I can't even cope. How do I get my kids to do this? Yes. Do it together. Do it, like, mm-hmm. do it as a family. I talk about that all the time. So, you know, talk about what yuck is, what, and that's one of the reasons I use that word because people from age two to 102 understand that word. Talk about what yuck is, talk about when you sense yuck and come up with a plan together as a family. Each of you say, okay, when I sense this in my body, this is how I will handle it and encourage each other and practice it as a family. You don't have to know how to do this beforehand. You can all do it together. Hmm. And I feel like, um, I just talking about like connection and, and whatever else I feel like, and I've in my own life. So I, so with my kid who just is a little more, you know, had made me rethink my parenting uh, (laughs) game, (laughs) that child. Um, it's funny because I felt, I felt like I had to, I, I felt like I had to punish him. Um, because it was like so consistent. Um, he was so consistently telling me, no, wouldn't do it. I'd ask him to do something and it was like, you know, put your shoe in your room. And he'd like inchworm for like an hour to get the shoe in his room. Like it was a control issue. It was a con- um, that's exactly right. Yeah. It's it's a huge control issue. <laughs> yes. Um, and it, but he was very like big emotioned about it. And so I and I felt like I felt really, really sad. And I felt really, really something because I felt like this child needed more from me as a mother, but I felt like I had to stay consistent with discipline or punishment. That's not interchangeable, but I feel like I probably go back and forth between the two pretty consistently um, because sometimes I'm like, just get in your room. I can't even deal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like that drove disconnection. 
Like the constant punishment drove disconnection. And then I almost felt guilty for punishing him. And then I felt like there's this cycle of like, okay, well, I don't want to punish you again for the 28th time this hour. But at the same time, like I can't let you like I can I know you are butting up against who is in control here. And so how do you deal with like that type of thing? Yes. So that's another area I specialize in, which is quote unquote strong will. So basically I just need to hire you. Um, well, I mean, I think just, just to your point, a lot more people have strong-willed children or sensitive children than we think. Um, but yeah, strong-willed children are tough. And I will also tell you that control and worries tend to go together and sensitivity tends to go together. So a lot of kids who are sensitive are also very controlling. So, and the reason for that, by the way, is because, and I can say this as a sensitive sensitive person. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. He is sensitive. So, um, the reason that sensitive kids are so controlling is because we, and we, I say we, cause I'm sensitive too. We feel so out of control of our emotions so often, and we feel so out of control when they happen that we become really controlling. Like if I, if things go this way, I'm going to be better. And we, we have this idea of, I want things to go this way. And there's this like inflexible thinking that takes place. Like I can't let it go that way. It has to go my way. That's why you may say, do one thing and he may freak out. Because he had in his mind that it was going to go one way and it didn't. And that's really, really uncomfortable for him. Mm-hmm. So all of this goes together. But the point of, do we punish that? So first of all, being consistent is amazing. I think starting there was the best first step. But what you want to do is not consistently punish because here's why. I want you to think about it this way. The way he is, is related to his temperament. We talked about that. He can't necessarily change his temperament. What happens when we punish these kids over and over is not only do they act out more to try to get more control, because that's their coping mechanism. So their brain is saying, do it more, do it more, do it more. But it also eventually affects their self-esteem, where they say, what is Their identity of like their worth. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And I heard this as a therapist. Kids would say to me, like, what is wrong with me? Why can't I react differently? Why do I, you know, act so strong-willed? Why do I take one tiptoe? They don't get it. They don't know why they do that, because that's their coping mechanism, and they're in fight or flight at the time. And so they start to think there's something wrong with me. I'm awful. I can never make this work. I can never do better. And I will tell you the self-esteem issues that I used to find in strong-willed kids, we think that because they're so strong-willed, oh, they're confident. That is not confidence. That is an unhealthy coping mechanism. They don't know how to be more flexible thinkers. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. So that's why you want to be consistent. But what you're consistent with is helping them think more flexibly. It's giving them control outside of the situation. So they, those are what I call deposits. You give them control outside of the situation so that in the moment when you have to take control, it doesn't have as big of an impact. And lastly, in the moment, you let you set a boundary and he's going to get upset. You let him get upset and you help him through those feelings. That's one of the best things you can do for a sensitive child is let them get upset and teach them how to handle their feelings because they don't know how. So are, are you a big fan of love and logic? I think love and logic is, um, I like certain parts of it. I think it's a little too like the whole, mm, now you need to fill my bucket because you didn't do something. I don't love that because I think it doesn't emphasize tools enough. I love that it is, um, you know, firm and I love that it is, you know, we want to connect with our kids, but I think it overlooks the whole tools piece. If you say to a child clean up and they're actually missing the tools to clean up, which I promise you, all of you think because your kids are physically capable of of cleaning up that they're developmentally capable and they're not. 
Oh my gosh. When we say to, yeah, yeah. I, we, could, we could go more into that. But when we <laughs> say to a child, clean up and they don't, and then we say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't clean up. Now you have to do something for me. We never taught them how to clean up. And so I think that's a big part that's missing from Love and Logic. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's funny because I feel like, um, when you see just like chore charts or whatever yes. for like two year olds, it's like they can put the toy, if they can take a toy out of a bin, they can put a toy back into the bin. Well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Bit. And that is such a big thing to talk about that just because a child, a two year old is physically able, able, absolutely. But what they're missing is, let me just explain this. Cause this is really important for if you have discipline issues where kids aren't listening and doing what they're supposed to do. Kids' brains are wired for stimulation, engagement, and novelty. And again, this is not ADHD. This is a neurotypical child. Stimulation, engagement, and novelty. And they're wired that way on purpose because they have so much to learn. They have to notice the new things. And they're, they're actually, I could do a whole episode of why they're wired that way, but they are. Just know that. And so what happens is when a child starts to clean, and this could be a two-year-old, but this could also be a 12-year-old or even a 16-year-old, they start to clean. Because they're wired for stimulation, engagement, and novelty, their brain is distracted by anything that's more stimulating, engaging, and novel. So they start to clean, and then they notice a toy on the floor, and they start to play with that. That is developmentally extremely normal. We as adults have the ability to say, oh, wait, I'm not supposed to say that again. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. That's something I deal with all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, why are you sitting here playing with this ball? I just told you to clean this room. (laughs) Correct. So I will say that again. What happens is you can think of it this way. Your child, and this isn't actually anatomically correct, but imagine your child has a magnet in their brain. The other half is attached to anything that's more stimulating or novel than what they're doing. So they start to clean and then they see a toy on the floor and their brain literally gets directed and gets moved to that direction and they start playing with that toy. They're not being bad. They're being normal. So until we teach them how to actually bring their brains back, which as adults, we can do that only because... The part of our brain that allows us to stay focused is it doesn't develop till the mid 20s. So we have a fully developed, it's called the prefrontal cortex. We have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. They do not. And so their brain does get distracted. So when we punish them for having a normal brain, they do start to get self esteem issues and they do start to get really resentful of us as parents because, yes, they're physically able, able to do that, but they're not developmentally able. Well, and I. I wonder how we know that. I mean, unless we're a parenting expert, I mean, I'm being serious. Like I feel, I mean, I'm a, you know, I'm a teacher. So I feel like I've done child development classes. I feel like out of, um, and I'm, and I'm also very, um, like, oh gosh, sorry. Siri just popped up on my computer. Okay. Um, but I'm also very like intentional with my parenting. I feel like I'm very, you know, like I, I seek to learn, I seek to whatever and not everybody does that um, because, you know, they're seeking to learn something else or whatever else. That's totally fine. Um, But that's, that's an issue because I feel like it, in my mind, my three-year-old, well, I don't have a three-year-old, my four-year-old should be able to clean a room that is relatively simple, right? Like not like a disaster room, but like put your clothes away, put your blanket back on your bed and put these four toys in the thing. Like I genuinely feel like he should be able to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And some, I will tell you some four-year-olds can, they're, they are, you know, our, even our executive functioning skills, which is what I'm talking about, our ability to clean and stay focused and transition. These are all executive functioning skills. Some kids' executive functioning skills are better than others. But for the most part, kids have really, really poor executive functioning skills. And we expect them to do things that literally their brains cannot. Now, remember, I want to emphasize this 
underscore, highlight, exclamation points. This is not an excuse, but we, we have to see it as a reason and we have to teach them how to stay focused. And when we teach them, so can I give you an example of how to teach a child to clean? I was literally just going to say, yes. so what do <laughs> so you exactly, what do like? you say? Exactly. Like do it for like a minute at a time. We will do, well, so hey, can you, okay. So can you coach me on this? Because this is what I said. Yes. I will literally tell them, okay, we do like song cleans where um, we literally turn on their favorite song for three minutes and we clean that whole time and that's it. And it's like fun um, because I also don't want cleaning to be horrible, but we also are also do randomly. I'll be like, all right, Hey, everybody go pick up 15 things. And I feel like they can focus that. Maybe we're not talking about the same thing, but you, you are like, talking about exactly things? the same thing. You are talking okay. about exactly. So let me give you a quick lesson. Here's the lesson in teaching kids to do boring things that they don't feel like doing. So we know now that their brains are wired for stimulation, engagement, and novelty. So what we do is we build stimulation or engagement or novelty into the task. Now, I will tell you what that looks like, but let me again emphasize this because I know people say this immediately. But Rachel, life isn't fun. This is not meant to be fun. This is meant to work with their brains instead of against them so you can get them to do what they're supposed to do. So what we do is we incorporate engagement, stimulation, and novelty. And very simply, all that means is incorporate their brain or incorporate their body. And you're doing both of those. When you play music, you're incorporating their brain. When you tell them to pick up 15 things, you're, you're incorporating their brain. So you could also hear, a, I'll just give you, I'll, I'll throw out a few examples. Have them clean up, you know, one part of the room with one hand behind their back. Have them clean up one part of the room with their tongue sticking out. Have them find, and this is, this is similar to what you're doing when you say find 15 things. Have them find all the red things and put them away. Have them find all the green things. Have them pretend to be a different character. Like, what are you going to be today? And have them clean up in that way. And the good news about this, if you are not a parent who thinks this way, and I will say, I am not a parent who thinks this way naturally at all. Good news here. Number one, your kids do think this way. And starting at about age three and a half, you can teach your kids how to think this way. So what you can say to a four-year-old is, how are you going to clean up today? What character are you going to be? What special thing are you going to do with your body? And I know starting with my kids starting at about three and a half, I stopped giving them any ideas and they've been doing it on their own ever since. And again, my kids are not so great. They're very normal that their brains are wired this way. So engage their brain, engage their body. Just one other quick example. If you have kids who get up from the dinner table and you want them to sit still, that's a rule in our house. We have to sit at the dinner table. We have a child who get, used to get up all the time. You tie a bungee cord around the legs of the chair so that when they feel the need to get up, instead of getting up, they just kick the bungee cord because you're engaging their body. When you engage their brain or their body in any activity, they will do it better. And this even applies to older kids and homework. I've done this with 17, 18-year-olds. It looks different. You're not asking them to find colors anymore, but it's mm -hmm. the same concept. Hmm. That's interesting. And I think too, um, just giving them some control over oh, the situation. Like I, I feel like with this one that I keep talking about, although we've made some actually decent strides, I'll just talk about two things. I've talked about, um, what we've done just, I've talked about this in a past episode, but basically we've done two things. Number one, okay. Siri keeps popping up. What the heck? Stop it. Okay. So, um, number one is like, which I guess hearing you now, this was, the, I guess since it's working, we'll keep doing it. But like if he starts to clean a room and he will kind of get distracted, I will, and what I would used to do is be like, are you serious? Like freaking just finish your room. You know, it's been however long, like just clean it. But then I started to say instead, um, hey, like I'd pop in there, notice that he's playing with a toy, which apparently is totally normal. And I would say, hey, what's your plan to finish this room? Are you going to like 
pick up all the toys next or whatever. Like I'm excited to see what your plan is to finish. And I feel like just that switch of me asking him what's his plan to finish the room is, was really, really powerful. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Because remember I said there are three reasons that kids don't behave. The first one was he was missing tools. The second is I called it emotional yuck. And I said, Mm -hmm. there are five emotional needs. One of them is control. So when what you did was what I call, you made a deposit into control. And that's another way to motivate kids. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when they have the tools, when their needs are met, kids behave. It's amazing. It's like people used to call me like a magician or a child whisperer, which is flattering. I'm not. All I know, I I just know that when kids know that there are no loopholes because you're consistent, when they have the tools and when their needs are met, they behave. It's as simple as that. Yeah, no, it's complicated to kind of figure out for some people. It's complicated to figure that out. That's why I'm here. But you see, look, Stephanie, we had never talked about this before, yet instinctively you knew some of this stuff already. I'm just explaining why what you're doing is working. Well, and because, you know, it's like uh, just, just talking through this with you now, having this conversation with you now. I mean, I chose to do that because of just trying to give him back some control because I noticed when he doesn't have it, he like loses it. Yeah. And so, um, but with what you're saying where like kids who are really strong willed have self-esteem issues. So it's like, okay, well what I was doing was I was giving him a task that, and this was when he was three. So like this is, we've been working now for a while, but like a three-year-old to clean my living room and listen, it's like pillows on the ground to put some toys away. Like it's not a disaster, like right. maybe 20 full, 20 things. And he would get distracted. And so what I used to do is like freak out. You know what I mean? Not like all the time, but just enough to where I'm like, oh my gosh, can you, we have to leave. Can you just do this? Right. Um, and I wanted to hold him to it because I wanted him to, you know, complete something. But in, and then anyways, I switched to just peeking in and saying, oh, hey, that's a really cute panda. Like what's your plan to finish this room? And I feel like what that does is what you're saying is that it's because he's distracted, that's normal. And if I come in and yell at him for that, then all of a sudden that could be internalized as a worth issue or an identity issue. And instead I've given him that control to kind of like wake his brain back up. Like, oh, great, let's be doing this. That is a perfect example of discipline versus punishment. You gave him what he needed to be successful. And to me, that's what discipline is. Discipline is having really firm boundaries. We, We have to be consistent. And we have to expect a lot of our kids. I mean, that's what actually builds self-esteem. And then you just gave him what he needed. And that is what discipline is. And you don't need to punish. When you meet kids' needs and you give them the tools and you're consistent, there's really no need to punish. And I have email after email from parents who have said this. We're not punishing anymore. We don't need to because we've started to do these three things. Yep. Yep. And um, I will say one last thing that we've done with him, just be- just because I talk about this relationship a little bit. And I told you earlier how I really felt sad because I feel like this relationship was getting strained because I had to be so freaking consistent where my other two, it's like, I only had to tell them one time. Mm -hmm. And so with this one, I just felt like it was strained. And so actually, um, what I started to do was say not, Hey, go put your freaking toy away Mm -hmm. or, you know, go put the shoe away for the thousandth time. I started to say, Hey, I need somebody super, super fast to put the shoe away. Or, Hey, I need somebody like really, really smart to go, you know, put their pencils away or he's, I have all blonde hair, blue eyes, boys, and he's my only green eyed. And so I would say, Hey, I'm looking for somebody who has green eyes to go put their shoes away or something, you know, and he'd like light up because he's like the only one with green eyes that can do it. Yeah. And the wording, just the wording, how important that is. Absolutely. That's why I do so many say this, not that in scripts, because what you did again, I'm just putting words to why what you're doing works. So I mentioned there's an emotional need for control, which you're already thinking about. We also have another emotional need called significance, 
which is the need to know we matter. And this plays a huge role when you have more than one child. Children need to be seen as individuals. And so what you did was you made him feel significant and you made him feel powerful. So you actually made a deposit into two different emotional needs when you did that. And you created stimulation for him. So that is a brilliant strategy for those reasons. Gave him control, significance, and stimulation. And yes, of course it's going to work because you're giving him what he needs. I will just say one more thing um, just related to that. A lot of parents will be like, are you serious? This is the stuff I have to do to get my kids to listen. That is a sign if you're thinking that, because yeah, this is kind of the stuff kids need. If you're thinking, oh my God, are you serious? This is what I have to do. That's a sign of your yuck and you are overwhelmed and that's where you need to start. You don't start with stuff that we're talking about if you are overwhelmed as a human being. So I just wanted to put that in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I know you know Dr. Laura Forian, but she talked about that with kids and parenting and whatever, that's a whole nother episode, but everyone gets what they need and everyone needs something different. So I have moved past the guilt of feeling like I need to give all my kids the same thing, or I need to treat them all the same, or I expect them all at the same age. You all need something different, but you all will get what you need, what you need. That's absolutely right. And yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that actually creates more. I did a, I did a video on this. So it creates more sibling fighting is if we treat them, if we tell them that everything's equal, because what we're doing is we're training their brain and we say, no, I gave you the same size cookie, or I gave you the same amount of screen time. We're teaching them to train their brain or we're training their brain to compare. When we say everything's equal, equal, they will continue to look to make sure. But when you treat them as unique, they don't have to compare anymore. And the, the reality is that we only compare ourselves with others when we don't have what we want. When we're in a good place, we don't need to compare ourselves to others. So I could not agree with that more. Yeah. Yep. Well, and I was just thinking as you're saying that, that is exactly, I mean, if if you know that you're, if you are, if you feel filled up, if your child feels like they already have what they need, they literally couldn't probably care less that he got an extra cookie. I mean, that's, that's a stupid exactly example, but you know right. what I mean? Like he's, he's full. So it doesn't really matter what someone else gets like, but if he's lacking, and that's 100% true. And that's true of our jealousy, even as adults. We're not jealous when we have the things we want. We're only jealous when someone has something else that is important to us that we don't have. So like even something simple, your neighbor comes home and they have a bright, shiny new car. If you also have a bright, shiny new car, you're not going to be jealous. But Mm -hmm. if you don't have one, you're going to be like, oh, I'm so jealous of them. If you have one though, you're going to be like, oh, that's great. And you're going to be happy for them. And that's the way a lot of sibling relationships work as well. Absolutely. Oh man, then they, then we could get into the conversation of contentment and yes. competition within <laughs> your household and yeah. all kinds of stuff, which um, unfortunately we don't have time for. I told, before we logged on, I literally told Rachel that I feel like we could talk for 400 years and like, yes. <laughs> just, just keep going. So, um, yes. but, um, so Rachel, is there anything else, I mean, to just tie a bow on everything that we said, maybe like one of the most important things to remember as a parent, or maybe just like one simple step to start taking, maybe if you are in a lot of yuck, if you are feeling, you know, whatever, like what's just something simple we can start doing? Yeah. I think the first thing I would say is if your reaction to listening to this episode is that's what I have to do to get my kids to act better. Um, that is really a sign that you need to, you want to start looking at your own yuck. And the, and if you want an actual action step to take, Um, I would say if you're in that place, write down the things that are causing your yuck and then choose one of those things. Realize what's in your control and start to make changes. 
when we reduce our own yuck, parenting becomes so much easier. I call it the parenting uh, easy button is taking care of ourselves. And then the stuff we're talking about in this episode is actually not that hard. It's not rocket science. It's also, it's pretty logical, but if it, you really need to start with yourself, figure out what's causing your yuck, what's, what are your stressors, start to take action with one thing. That's what I would do. Well, and then, I mean, you hear like more is caught than taught. So yes. <laughs> when you start acting in a way that you have some self-regulation skills and you're able to, you know, not freak out in the moment, then maybe even if you don't have the right words um, to, to discipline your child in the moment, they at least can see you and they can learn so much from that. So yeah, it starts with us for sure. 100%. Absolutely. Um, all right, Rachel. Well, so I know that we kind of um, pieced it through this episode, but just in one chunk, can you just let my listeners know, you know, where can they find you? Um, can you talk even just briefly about your parenting course that you have um, and just kind of let them know how can they just like get continued education <laughs> from you? Yes, absolutely. So on social media, I'm Rachel Bailey Parenting on both Facebook and Instagram. Um, I also have my podcast, which is called Your Parenting Long Game. And the best way if you want to interact with me is to join my free Facebook group. It's called Your Parenting Long Game Facebook Community. Um, and then I have a website where I have some free downloads that you can have um, on my website, which is rachel-bailey.com. And then um, on that website, I also have a couple of courses right now that help you create your own personalized plan for things like getting kids to listen and handling big emotions. And lastly, I have a parenting academy, and that's really where people get ongoing support. That's where I mentioned I, I do the say this, not that's, but I also give scripts and I do ongoing trainings. So there, I have a lot of support out there, both free and paid, where you obviously get um, a lot more from me. But just I, I, this is my goal is because I struggle as a parent, too. My goal is to really provide that information for others. That's amazing. Well, girl. Thank you so much for coming on and just coaching me in my parenting, but also just sharing all your wisdom. And I mean, just, I mean, I'm like taking notes literally as we're talking, just so, so much good stuff. So, um, all right. Well, and this week, you guys, if you are listening live pretty much on Instagram, most days this week, um, you're going to see just different nuggets and stuff from our conversation that we can, um, you know, just keep continue to have a conversation on. So thank you so much, Rachel, for being on. Thank you for having me here. I really appreciate it. Okay, you guys, do you wish that you could have been like in the same room with her asking her all of your specific questions? Because I literally could have sat there in front of the mic with her for about four more years. <laughs> so if you have specific questions to ask Rachel, shoot me a DM, or there's actually a post in the Legacy Through Motherhood group that I will pin to the top of the group this week. And I will invite Rachel into our group as soon as possible to answer all of your specific questions. And of course, you could show up live and ask her there too. So I'm going to make sure to get that up and running in the group. But all right, if you are not following Legacy Through Motherhood on Instagram, you guys, I am at legacy underscore through underscore motherhood. Um, and this week, I'm going to be spotlighting this episode from Rachel and all the good little, I'm going to pick out all the good tips and tricks that she taught us and good quotes and good just information. Okay, so for more of her this week, go ahead and tune in there. And join me next week as we continue to have the conversations just surrounding how to make different parts of our life just 1% better every day. What is one thing that you can take away from this conversation or just in life, right? Whoever you're following, whether it be me or someone else, um, that can just, you can take a hold of it and you can run with it, okay? And just make yourself 1% better in that area. 
And ultimately, you guys, it's just going to create some seriously amazing and lasting change. And I am so excited, as always, to continue to help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.